morning. I want to make you think on this time change Sunday, think into your mind, uh, not to think too deep, but just right off the top of your head. If somebody was to ask you uh, what your favorite love story is, what would you say? If you had to give a definitive answer on your favorite love story, not necessarily romance, uh, but a love story, uh, where would you answer? There are so many places to draw our answers from. You could look into history or uh, maybe even literature if you were into to history or uh, you could say Cleopatra and Mark Antony or maybe Lancelot and Guinevere. Uh, maybe you'd even say Paris and Helen of Troy who started the Trojan War. Uh, literature, of course, the easy go-to is Romeo and Juliet, which everybody wants to fall back on, or maybe even Jane Austen if you're into that book series. You could say Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Uh, but literature, for some, is difficult because we have to picture it in our mind. And so what we have many times when you talk about a love story is you draw from television uh, or even better yet movies if you were into television maybe if you were older you could say it was Ricky and Lucy or Rob and Laura or uh, maybe if you're more my age you could say Sam and Diane or Dave and Maddie uh, from Moonlighting uh, you know that gives my age a little away uh, or my time period or uh, maybe even a character from today's period but most of us uh, as I talk to people this morning and as I talk to people this week most drew on movie characters most said if they had a name uh, a famous uh, love story, their favorite love story behind Romeo and Juliet came movie characters. And so I don't know about you. And as I said, it's usually depending on your age. I know some have told me it was Rhett and Scarlet or Captain Von Trapp and Maria. Uh, some uh, maybe a little younger said it was Oliver and Jennifer uh, as played by Ryan O'Neill and Allie McGraw in the movie Love Story. Uh, some of you may remember that. I had some tell me it was Robbie Benson and Lynn Holly Johnson in the movie Ice Castles, which that was uh, maybe some before your time period. From my age period, uh, it always goes back to Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court, who uh, some of you may not remember that or you may not understand that. He was the one who held the large radio and say anything over his head outside of her window and uh, tried to serenade her within your eyes. Uh, maybe it's the younger generation today. Uh, my kids, uh, they would answer Edward and Bella or something along that line. We all have family love stories. And whether you can act uh, like you don't or you're too tough or you're not into that, we all have characters that we're drawn to that are love stories. And, and I don't know what you would say. The possibility would be endless. I'll tell you my favorite. Uh, tells you a little bit more about me. Uh, if I had to pick one it would be the character Joe Bradley and Smitty, who Smitty is not really her name. That was the name that he called her. Her real name was Princess Anne. Uh, maybe you don't recognize those names. Uh, it was from a movie that came out about 13 years before I was even born. But the moment I was introduced to it, I fell in love with the characters and I fell in love with the story. You may recognize it more by knowing that Joe Bradley was played by Gregory Peck and uh, Anne was played by Audrey Hepburn, uh, a movie by the name of Roman Holland. Holiday. And uh, no matter what uh, time of day, no matter what I'm doing, if Roman Holiday comes on the television, I want to watch it. And it breaks my heart every time, uh, but it's still one of my favorite love stories. And I, I tell you all that to get you thinking about love story, because this week I was reading a book about Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin, who, if you have read any history, know was a ladies' man, was uh, considered a romantic. Uh, he was serving in Paris, France as a representative uh, the United States colonies, and while in Paris,
Paris, France, he joined a book club. It was a, a strange book club. It was known as the Infidel Club, and uh, it was a club that was more dealing with enlightenment. Uh, but what they would do is each week, someone would bring one of their favorite books, uh, usually short stories, and they would read aloud this short story to the entire club. And it was Franklin's turn to read, and he brought a unknown short story to the club and began to read it. Uh, he uh, introduced it by saying it was his favorite love story. And he began to read the story, and as he read, the listeners were enraptured with it and, and taken in by the, uh, uh, the story itself and the nature of the story. And as he finished, they all stood and applauded, and they began to approach him and ask, where in the world did you find this? We've never heard that story. Uh, where did that come from? And he had kept the author uh, secret, and at that moment he revealed the book which he was reading was the Holy Bible. And the story that he was reading was the book of Ruth. And they were so enraptured by the book of Ruth that uh, they considered it, many of them, the greatest short story they had ever heard. And while many of us would recognize the study of the book of Ruth, I think sadly today in many churches, uh, people are unfamiliar with Ruth and her story in the book of Ruth. And, and even when it is taught, even when it is recognized, uh, most of the time it's in conjunction or it's in teaching relational to the idea of kinsman redeemer, uh, which is a character nature that comes out of the book of Ruth, this idea of redemption. Uh, it's used as a type, an Old Testament symbol of a New Testament. Testament item of Jesus Christ. People read it and they see Jesus Christ as the kinsman redeemer. And you can't help but read the book of Ruth and not see that. But if all you see is the symbolism in Ruth, then you miss a great, uh, deep love story, a story that speaks to everything that we do today. In this series we're studying, we're calling it Found Faithful, we're looking at different Bible characters each week and how their faith can give us life lessons, how we can look at their lives and find little uh, elements of their faith and apply it to our everyday lives. And this morning, I want to look at the book of Ruth, and we're going to study the book of Ruth. And as we do, I want to examine a faith that won't let you quit. A faith that won't let you quit. We've talked about a faith that will persevere. We've talked about uh, discouragement and depression before. But really, I, this isn't depression. This is deeper than depression. Today, we're going to talk about a despair. See, today we're going to talk about a feeling when all of us uh, at one time or another in our life have come to where we just want to give up. We just want to quit. We just want to walk away. Uh, whether that's from a relationship or whether that's from a marriage or whether that's from being a parent or whether that's from a job or, or those in your family. We all come at times in our life where it is so difficult that we feel like we can't go on. I feel like it's easier just to walk away. And uh, if we were honest, any of us that are parents would uh, admit that there were times in our parenting that uh, we thought it'd be easier just to walk out of the house and keep on walking. Or uh, in our marriage lives, all of us that have been married for any length of time will be willing to admit that there were times that you wanted to walk away, times you were discouraged. But what kept you there was your faith and your commitment in one another. But you see, for some of us this morning, there are difficulties. Now, we understand the definition of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, we, we study that right off the bat, that uh, we are sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And by its very nature, that won't allow us to quit. How can you hope for something or be certain of something and yet want to quit, yet want to give up, yet want to walk away? But in the real world of our everyday lives, it can be overwhelming. 
And the real world of the things that you and I face and the circumstances and situations that press in on us, there comes a time where all of us want to just give up. That, if that's you this morning, if you've been there, or if you are there, if you're, you're living there right now, I want to encourage you that Ruth gives us some answers. That in this beautiful love story, there is a picture of hope that encourages you and I to, to trust God to follow our faith, to follow our hearts as we seek Him. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. Uh, it's not hard to find. It's in the Old Testament, wedged right between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. It's not a long book. It's a short book, just four chapters. And I wish that we had time to read all the way through it. That's your homework this week. As I want to encourage you sometime this week, take some time and read all four chapters of Ruth. It's probably uh, in poetry, in the Hebrew, it's one of the most beautiful books uh, that has ever been written as a picture of a love story. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And the, the irony of Ruth is it is an in-depth love story, but it's not the type of love story that we're used to. Because you see, there are three types of love in this story. The first love story is the love that a mother-in-law has for her daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law for her mother-in-law. Now, that's not one that if you and I were picking our top ten love stories, uh, you'd find on that calendar. Most people would say uh, their love for their mother-in-law is not the type of love that we would learn anything from this morning, but you're going to be surprised at the deep, rich love that a mother-in-law and that a daughter-in-law have for one another. It's, it's a love story between a man and a woman, of course. It's the story of Boaz and Ruth as they come together uh, unexpectedly bound together. And then it's also the story of God and His love for, for His children. God and His redeeming love for each one of us. And so there's richness and there's depth in this story. So as you read this story and as we talk about this story, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you right where you are. I want you to be willing to, to understand whatever struggle, whatever you're going through this morning, that there are some answers. And while I'm not going to read every passage, I'm going to paraphrase it uh, and then come back to a couple of passages i I want you to see. I hope you can get or, or capture the picture of what's going on in the book of Ruth. So if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1. Let me give you the setting of what's going on. It's introduced real quickly here. Uh, Ruth is taking place, the book of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. It's the time that is written about right here uh, before this book. The judges were like kings that ruled over different areas uh, of, of the nation of Israel, the, the promised land. They didn't have kings. The first king that we see come on the schedule is Samuel. And, uh, and so when Samuel comes on and he hands the thing over to Saul and Saul, becomes king uh, and that is the first kingdoms really that we see up until that point you had governors and the judges were governors Gideon was a judge and the story of Ruth probably takes place during the time of Gideon because it's early on the judges lasted between 450 600 years this is early on because we know Boaz is related to story that we find in the book of Joshua so it's early on in, in the book of Judges in its timetable 
And we're introduced to a character. We're introduced to a character named Elimelech. And Elimelech is a uh, Jewish leader of the tribe of Judah. It says he's from Bethlehem. And any time in the Bible you hear, especially in the Old Testament, Bethlehem mentioned, it is always talking about someone from the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem is the center of the tribe of Judah. It's not uh, an accident when Jesus is born, when Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because they're from David's tribe. And David was from the tribe of Judah. And so they're in Bethlehem. He has a wife named Naomi. They have two young sons. Well, what happens at the start of this story is there's famine in the land. Uh, There is a drought, and this is an agricultural society, and people are dying because they can't plant their crops and they can't have any food. Now, we don't know if it was punishment for their actions. That happens over and over again in the book of Judges, as we've seen. Uh, The people are disobedient. God will withhold his blessings. It doesn't say that. It just says there was a drought. And so Elimelech and his wife Naomi decide to leave the promised land. And they go about 50 miles east to the kingdom of Moab. Uh, if you're going east from Bethlehem, it's around the Dead Sea, uh, towards Saudi Arabia. They go into the nation of Moab. Now we know Moab were enemies of the children of God. They were enemies of the nation of Israel. They had fought them already. They continue to be a thorn in the nation of Israel's flesh uh, for the rest of the time period of, that they are a nation. And so they seek refuge in Moab. Now, they had their two sons. We don't know how old they are, but eventually those two sons start dating and marry Moabite women, which was a no-no to the Israelites. They were not supposed to marry outside the tribe, outside the kingdom, but they do. And so they marry these Moabite women. Find out in the story that Elimelech passes away. We don't know what happens. We just know he dies. And so you have Naomi as a widow and her two sons and their two wives. And then the story tells us real quickly after that that the two husbands are killed. And so basically the story starts out with a a mother-in-law and her two daughter-in-laws. And they are in a a foreign country, uh, a country that is not her home. And now you need to understand that in that culture, a widow was probably the lowest on the realm of social standing. Uh, A widow had to fend for herself. A widow uh, could not go out and raise crops. A widow was not assigned property. Uh, Property went down through the males. And so that uh, when a, a husband died, if he had sons, all of his property went to his sons. Now his sons were supposed to take care of their mother, but sometimes that didn't happen. And if the sons died, there was no one there to take care of their mother. And so for Naomi, this is the worst case scenario. And she's left not only in the far country without anyone uh, to take care of her, she's got two daughter-in-laws that are Moabite to take care of her. So she decides to go home. She decides to go back to Bethlehem. She hears that it's, it, God is blessing them there now, that the famine is over. And so she begins to pack up and her daughter-in-laws come to her and she begins to have a discussion with them and she encourages them, I'm going back to Bethlehem, you stay here. And so I want to pick that up at the end of chapter 1. And this is a passage I want to read, looking at verse 13. She says, uh, would you wait until they grew up and would you remain unmarried for them? She's talking about uh, other sons. She says, no, my daughters, for it is more bitter for me than for you. She's talking about her situation. She's saying, it's, it's horrible. I want to give up because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. You see a picture. Who she blamed for all this? She blames God. It, it, God is doing this to me. 
At this they wept, and then Orpah, who was one of the daughter-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So one of the daughter-in-laws said, I'm going to stay in Moab. Ruth said, you're young, you can get remarried, you can stay here with your gods and your people, but I'm going home. One daughter-in-law says she's going to leave, the other clung to her, and look what Ruth says. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you, for where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay, and your people will be my people, and your God my God. For where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and I. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now that's probably the most famous passage from the book of Ruth. Uh, incredible picture of commitment, an incredible picture of love. Uh, matter of fact, I've been a part of many weddings that included that in their uh, wedding vows. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever uh, happens to you, happens to me. I, I remember one wedding I was going to do where they wanted to include this in the vow, and, and the, the uh, bride or future bride brought it to me and said, we want to include this in the vow, and I was just joking with her. I said, well, are you going to say this to your mother-in-law? And uh, she looked shocked. She said, mother-in-law, why, why in the world would I say this to my mother-in-law? So, well, that's the context. It's, uh, it's a woman saying it to her mother-in-law. She'd never, she just heard it. She just said, this is from the Bible. I just want to take it. Uh, but I think that is, is an incredible picture of the complexity of Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, to really who became her mother. She said, I'm going to stay with you. So the two women went on and came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? It's a homecoming. She comes back to her home, and the women in town recognize her. Ten years later, 12 years later, look, it's Naomi coming back. And she says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi. The word Naomi, her name means pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. Mara, the name means bitter. She said, listen, don't call me pleasant. I left here pleasant. I'm coming home bitter. I'm coming home angry. Now, there's no question what's going on in Naomi's life. There's no question that she's at the point where she's ready to, to give up. She's ready to walk away. Bitterness has gotten into her heart. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has inflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So they return to Bethlehem, but she returns a changed woman. But she also returns with a blessing in the indication of her daughter-in-law, this, this beautiful young Moabite woman. And so they come back, but they come back, they're still poor. There's still nobody to take care of them, even in the land uh, of their fathers. And so chapter 2 starts, and as chapter 2 starts, we're introduced to this character, Boaz. And it's just a real quick reference. It says, there was also a man by the name of Boaz who was Related to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. He was from the tribe of Judah. Now, Boaz, if you were with us when we studied the book of, uh, uh, studied our story on Rahab, you remember that Rahab the harlot that was in Jericho, she was blessed by God because of her faithfulness, and she married a man by the name of Salmon. And Salmon was the king of Judah, and they had a son, and that son's name was Boaz. So Boaz, who enters into our story here, is Rahab's son, the prostitute Rahab, the, the, the person that was uh, from the pagan 
culture. This is her son, and that plays a big part in who Boaz is. So they're hungry, and they settle, settle in, and they become beggars. Naomi says to Ruth, Ruth, we've got to have food to eat. They're having harvest time, chapter 2. Go out and, and glean from the harvest. The word glean and the, the system of gleaning in the Old Testament is a way of charity. What it means is she would walk behind the harvesters while they would pick the wheat, and they would pull down the stalks, any of the wheat that fell on the ground she could go and scoop up it's gleaning it and that was used for widows and orphans and those that didn't have family they would come and they would glean so go and glean in that field that's across from us and so Ruth obedient to her mother-in-law because she loved her mother-in-law went out and began to glean in the field and as she was gleaning in the field the foreman came and said who are you he said she said please have mercy on me she said I am Ruth and I'm here with my mother-in-law Naomi and we're uh, widows we're without men and she explained who she was and the foreman knew and had heard her story coming into Bethlehem said please do it please get whatever you want Well, Boaz shows up. Wouldn't you know it that this happens to be Boaz's field? Not an accident. It's the way God works. But all of a sudden, Boaz comes into this field. He looks out there. He sees this young woman and said, who is that? And his foreman said, that is the woman everyone's talking about. She is the Moabite woman that came back from the far country with Naomi. She is poor and they are gleaning. And so Boaz calls her to him in chapter 2 and says, you are blessed because of the way that you have treated your mother-in-law. Matter of fact, he says, you are of noble character because I've heard your love for your mother-in-law and you've come back with her. And because of that, you have the freedom to do anything you want in my fields. You can go with my slave girls, go with my servant girls and get any thing that falls on the ground. You can eat at our table when you need a break. You can drink from our well. And Ruth said, why in the world would you grant me that blessing? Why? You don't even know me. And he says, because I believe in you, because I believe in who you are. It's a beautiful picture. Even the words in the English don't give it justice. It says, because you are noble and righteous, I will bless you. And chapter 2 ends, it tells us that Ruth went back out and worked day in and day out. And on that day, she had gathered almost half a bushel of wheat, which is plenty for her and Naomi. She also took any of the extra food home. And she comes home and she busts in the door. You can picture, she comes in, she says, look at all that. You know, Naomi was probably picturing a handful. And she comes in with a bag. Almost an ephah is what it says, enough to make several loaves of bread. She comes in and says, look what we've got, and I have this extra food. And Naomi's shocked. She said, well, what happened? She said, you'll never guess that field that you told me to go in. The guy who owns it, his name is Boaz. And Naomi says, I know who Boaz is, for he is a kinsman redeemer. And we have that term introduced for the first time. Because you see, in the Hebrew, land is important. Matter of fact, it's still important. And your name is important. Two most important things that you can have behind your relationship to God, land and your name. And when someone died, a man died, the male side of the family, land could not be passed down. And if you didn't have sons, your name could end. And there was nothing worse for a Hebrew. So they created the law that's called kinsman redeemer. And what that says is that if a woman, husband and sons die, she is to go to her husband's family. And if he has a brother or brothers, if he has cousins, the next closest relation to her husband or to her sons has a right to marry her. 
He has to buy her land back from her, paying her for the land that was his kinsman's. But in that, he takes her in as part of his family and becomes her husband. And in doing so, he allows for the dead husband, the dead son's name to carry on. And that's why it's called kinsman redeemer. Now, there's a catch there, though. He can't just go when he sees a widow and has a lot of land and say, that's the one I want to marry. You see, the, the widow has to ask the man to purchase it and has to ask him to marry it. So it's a, it turns the custom on its head. And so Naomi, when she hears this from Ruth, says, I know who Boaz is. He's one of my husband's relatives, and he might be a kinsman redeemer. And so all of a sudden, this hope is introduced into the picture. But nothing happens yet. Several days, several weeks, we don't know goes on, and they continue in this life of poverty. They continue working. She continues working in the fields. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 3, Naomi, they're eating one night. She says, listen, Ruth, you're young. You probably are getting tired of living with a bitter old woman in your house. She doesn't say it that way, but that's what she means. She says, you're probably tired of living here. She said, you need a house for yourself. She said, I have a plan. Why don't you get dressed up and cleaned up and put some makeup on and put perfume on? And I want you to go and talk to Boaz about being your kinsman redeemer. He has an obligation to you. And so that's what she does. She gets dressed up and puts makeup on. And she goes to the threshing room floor where they are working on that wheat that night. And Boaz is asleep. And in the Hebrew culture, it's a beautiful picture because it's the way uh, the wives would give their lives over to husbands. In the Hebrew culture, your feet are very important. Unlike the Arab culture, uh, the feet represent uh, the coming together. When uh, That's why they break the bottles to, to understand under their feet, to make a, a representation of a new life and the bonding of the two. Well, what she does is Naomi tells her to go and Boaz is asleep there. She pulls back the covers from his feet exposing his feet and she lays on his feet now the symbolism of that is she is saying i'm submitting myself to your authority i'm placing myself at your mercy what a beautiful picture boaz wakes up and he looks down there and he says who is that and ruth looks up and says it's me ruth and i come to ask you to be my kinsman redeemer i ask you to save me I ask you to purchase everything that I have so that I might become yours. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Boaz is excited. He gets up and says, let it be as you have said. But as he's talking to her, he remembers that he is not the closest in the family. There is another cousin that's closer. So before he says anything to Ruth, he says, let me take care of that. In chapter 4, he all of a sudden goes to the city gates. That's where the men hang out. And and he looked for that one kinsman redeemer that he knew. And and you can read the story, and I promise you it's a beautiful picture. Because you all of a sudden begin to see Boaz falling in love with Ruth if he wasn't already in love with her. Because he goes and he begins to tell the story. And he says, there is this one who is from the family of Elimelech. And and she is uh, a widow. And she has this land. and, And somebody needs to be a kinsman redeemer and he calls out the name of the man whose obligation it was and the man steps up and says well since it is my obligation i will do it 
Well, then all of a sudden, Boaz starts to pour it on to convince him not to do it. He starts saying, well, you know, you can do it, but, you know, she is from Moab. Well, Moab was their enemies. And you see the guy in their conversation saying, really? She's, she's from Moab? He says, you know, she is of a bad bloodline. And if you, you know, you're welcome to do it. But if you bring her into your family, who knows who you're bringing into your family? You know, what kind of bloodline, what kind of kids are you going to have with a Moabite woman? You're not, I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You do what you want to do, right? And so finally in the picture, the kinsman redeemer says, it's, I can't do it. I can't bring that into my family. And Boaz at that, and, and, they, and there's a picture in chapter 4, he takes the sandals off, the, the one that can't do it, and he gives it to Boaz. Because you see, back to the feet, when they would buy land, they would take their sandals off and they would walk across the land to judge it. And if they wanted to buy it, they would take their sandals that they had taken off and give to the person they were buying it from. It was like a covenant of saying, we made a deal. And so the man says, I can't do it. So he takes his sandals and he gives it to Boaz. Boaz takes the sandals, he holds it up, and he says, I claim kinsman redeemer for Ruth and all of her family. And she will be mine and I will purchase her land. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, incredible picture of redemption. It's a beautiful picture of how God takes these two women who, who were hopeless, who come from a place where they are ready to give up, ready to walk away. And all of a sudden, God, through his love and his grace, intervenes in their life. And at the end of chapter 4, it says that those two marry and they have a son. And probably one of the prettiest pictures in the entire chapter, apart from uh, chapter 1, the love passage, is in chapter four, 4, verse 14. They take that baby and they lay it at Naomi's lap. And here she is, the woman they, that said, call me bitter. Why did she say, call me bitter? Because I don't have any future. I don't have any hope. And they take that baby and say, look, Naomi, you who were bitter now have hope. You who had no future now has a future. And may God bless you. Now, I know... Me telling you the story doesn't give you the beauty of the poetry of the language. But I want you to think about it for a moment. Naomi, who goes from pleasant to bitter to blessed. From willing to quit and give up to the end of her understanding. Ready to say, I can't handle this anymore. I'm walking away. To at the end of the story, she has a renewed purpose and a renewed hope and renewed life. And then you have Ruth, who, who starts out the story as a pagan. Starts out the story somebody who doesn't even care for God. And by the end of the story, she is having a son who we find out becomes Obed, who begat Jesse, who begat David. And here in, in five weeks of study, we find our second Gentile woman who is in the line of David, who is in the line of Jesus Christ, all because of her faith. From being a widowed woman with no hope to being in the line of the king and then the line of the king of kings. Why? Because of her faith. When you think about it, when we think this is the end, when we think we can't go on, God says, I'm not done. I love it when God begins to wrap his story into our story and it becomes one. What made the difference? What, what changed bitter to bless? What changed no future to the line of the king? It was faith. And the irony of it, it's not Naomi's faith, it's Ruth's faith. And Ruth 
Ruth was the one who had no faith to start with. Where did Ruth learn her faith? From Naomi. You see, that's part of the beauty of this. Is that the reason that Ruth could encourage Naomi is because as a daughter-in-law, Naomi had been pouring her heart into Ruth. And it all came back to her full circle. Now, what are we to learn from this? What I want you to take away, just a couple things to think about. If, If you're at the point where you want to quit, if you're at the point where you feel like walking away, when we're at the point where we can't take any more, the first thing that you need to do is to do what these ladies do, and that's go home. Go home. You say, well, I can't go home. I don't know where my home is. I'm not talking about a literal home. I'm talking about a spiritual home. You need to go back to the beginning and find your roots. See, so many times the reason we're at the end of our rope is we forget who's holding on to the other side. So many times we get so into the weeds that we forget who was leading us, who started us off in the beginning. I told you from the very first week we get so busy working for God that we neglect our worship and our walk. And when we get so busy that we get burned out, the way to get rejuvenated is to get back to worship and get back to your walk. Well, for some where you're willing to quit, the greatest thing you can do is go back and find your foundation. Get along with God. This last year, before the year even started, really 2013, one of the things that I wanted to commit to do was to go back and read books. Uh, I love reading. Read books that I read when I was in college, when I was in my formative years of my faith. And so I pulled out eight or nine books that I read as a college freshman and sophomore when I was wrestling with what God wanted me to do and how God was working in my life. And to go back and read books from 28 and 29 years ago that I haven't read since and to read those notes that I wrote along the edges all of a sudden began to rejuvenate me it reminded me why I do what I do it reminded me why I serve God and how God had intercepted my life and some of you need to go back to your foundations I pulled out my old prayer journals and began to see my journey and to see how God had held me together all these years see the greatest thing you can do even though they had no clue what was going to happen when they got there they went home For you and I, the first step for you is to go home. Go back to your foundation. The second thing that's important is when times get tough, not only to go home, but to lean on those that love you. Now, I know that sounds pretty simplistic. But listen to me. Our first reaction when we are in despair or discouraged or wanting to quit is to push those closest to us away. But God brought those people in your life for such a time as this. They're there for a reason. It may be only a season. It may be they come and go. It may be that they're long term. But they are there right now while you're going through what you're going through so that you can lean on them. Listen, it wasn't an accident that when Naomi said, you leave, Ruth turned around and said, I can't leave you. And Naomi found her strength from her daughter-in-law. You see, we need to learn to reach out and love those that are closest to us. When, when Naomi didn't have the faith to go on, Ruth stood in the gap and said, my faith will get us through. And I promise you, no matter what you're going through today, there is somebody that loves you, somebody close to you that is willing to step up and say, listen, I want to stand in the gap for you. I want to let my faith encourage you and bless you and get you through what you're going through. But you're going to have to reach out to them to see that happen. 
You never know how your faith may influence others. It's one of the purposes of the body of Christ. When young people tell me I don't need church and I can do church at home, all of those reasonings are are nice and good. And yes, you can watch church on TV. You can listen to a podcast. You can study your own Bible. But we need the body because it's within the body that when we can't go on, we draw strength. You see, it's within the body that God brings people into your life to motivate you and encourage you and lift you up and strengthen you. But to do that, you've got to be open and honest and you've got to be real and genuine. So I want to encourage you, if you feel like you can't go on today, the first thing you need to do is remember home. The second thing is you need to lean on those that love you. And the third thing, which we find from this story, when you can't go on when times get tough, you take it one step, one day at a time. Now, once again, that sounds simplistic, but it's so hard for us to do. We just see what happens to you and I when we find ourselves wanting to quit, when we find ourselves in despair, is we want to make it all better real quick. And usually what we do by wanting to make it all better real quick is we make a bigger mess than we were in in the first place. Listen to me. When they walked back to Bethlehem, do you not think Naomi knew who Boaz was? Do you not think Naomi knew who Boaz was and that he was a kinsman redeemer and that he was one of the wealthiest men in the land? Why not when they walked back to Bethlehem, when she was in her bitterness and she was in her angry mood, go and knock on his door and say, here's my pretty daughter-in-law. You're the kinsman redeemer. Why didn't she do that? Because it wasn't the right time. What did they do? She went back and they began to work and Ruth got up every morning and went and gleaned and Naomi went and tried to take care of what she was taking care of and put food on the table. And as they were doing that, God was teaching them and God was working on that bitter heart, working on that angry heart so that she would be ready to rejoice when God showed up. See, what I want to tell you is the hardest thing for us to do is to trust God while His plan unfolds. It may be taking an hour at a time or six minutes or or a minute at a time or the next breath at a time, but I'm telling you, you got to keep going and press through it. You see, really the whole key to faith, whether it's talking about Ruth, whether it's talking about Rahab, Elijah, Stephen, is faith is grasping Holding tight to the fact that God's in control and understanding that you're not. See, most of us this morning would shout, God is in control, but we don't like admitting that we're not. You see, that's the place that'll keep you going. Now, I know, honestly, as I end in the midst of your struggle, it's easy to get angry, it's easy to get bitter, it's easy to want to get up quit walk away some of you here this morning even though you're surrounded by friends and family you feel all alone you're lonely i want you to hear me from the book of ruth you're not alone for there is a kinsman redeemer waiting to redeem your hope i talked to a jewish friend this week i called it when i studied the old testament i usually try to find out some insight and we talked about the book of ruth and why even the book of ruth is in the bible 
And you see, he began to explain that it's one of the most important books for worship in the Jewish faith. During the festival of Shavuot, which is a, a, a festival of, of uh, harvest, the book of Ruth is the central book. They, they read it and sing it. He began to talk about how they sing it, the entire book, all during their worship during Shavuot. And he said on Thursdays, it's tradition that they would start reading at night and read the book of Ruth and study the book of Ruth all night as a sign of commitment. And he said, and while they do that during the festival of Shabbat, they only eat dairy products, usually milk and honey, to symbolize the richness and the, the joy and the sweet taste of the book of Ruth. And I said, why is it so important? He said, because it paints a picture for the Jewish people of God's marriage to his people, God's love to his people. And as he was talking, all I could think in the back of my head was, yes, but you don't understand. You're talking about the marriage of God's people when all along the kinsman redeemer's here. You see what I want you to understand this morning, that the message of Ruth is that you and I have hope because we have a kinsman redeemer. And he is ready to purchase your bitterness. He is ready to purchase your, your quit. He is ready to purchase your anger and your hurt and your disappointment and your despair. Matter of fact, he's already paid the price. But the catch is, you have to ask him before he can be yours. You see, I want you to understand this morning. God has a plan for you. Will you trust Him? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your truth and Your Word. We thank You for, God, the kinsman redeemer. That, God, in the midst of our poverty, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our despair, You came and You swooped in. And you brought hope and redemption. You brought new life and new beginning. Father, I thank you for the lessons of Ruth and Naomi and the struggles they went to and how it represents struggles that many in here have gone through. Some that are widows, some that are uh, struggling with loss, some that are struggling with uh, new life, some that are struggling in their family or at work. God, I pray this morning they would hear that there is hope. Never give up. You have a plan. And it's faith that sees that plan through. God, we come this morning just declaring you our Redeemer. And there is victory there. There is hope there. God, we love you in your name. Amen. Just a moment. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment, hymn number 285. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That, that's basically what Naomi and Ruth said. Trust you. We'll follow you. Will you follow him this morning? You let that be your declaration as he calls you out of your misery. He calls you out of your despair. He calls you out of that bitterness and that pain. Trust him. We just stand as Brother Charlie leads. 285. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll go.